You're listening to Mysteries Still Unsolved, a podcast where we discuss unsolved mysteries both past and present. I'm your host, Rochelle. Today, we will discuss the highly controversial death of Natalie Wood. Welcome back to Mystery Still Unsolved. I'm so happy you've come to listen to what I hope you will find a very interesting case. I learned about this mysterious death a few years ago, but I had always known who Natalie Wood was. I remember first seeing her in the infamous movie West Side Story. Um, I want to say that I was probably in the ninth or the 10th grade. We watched it in our English class around the same time that we were reading the Shakespearean play Romeo and Juliet. It shares um, some common themes, forbidden love and untimely death of a couple of youths, so it made sense that they put them together. I remember being really excited because she played Maria, the female lead in um, West Side Story, and the female lead, if you don't remember West Side Story, if you've never watched it, is a Puerto Rican teen, and I was a Puerto Rican teen. Well, half. My mom's Puerto Rican, so I guess half of me was very, very, very excited excited. Okay, but now I'm getting ahead of myself. Sorry. I just really want to get into the case because it's seriously just so interesting and I cannot believe that it hasn't been solved yet after all these years and you'll soon understand why. I don't know if you've noticed, but lately I haven't been mentioning updates to the cases that we've covered, but I wanted to let you all know that it has certainly not been for lack of trying and researching. Every week, Every time I write up my little script, I will look up all, in this case, 26 cases, and see if there have been any updates, any new information, and sadly, there just really hasn't been anything. I hope that one day I will be able to share some incredibly good news with you guys, but unfortunately, today is not that day. I will obviously keep researching and looking into everything for you guys, and the second I hear about anything, you'll know about it, either here on the podcast, or if you're following us on Instagram at Mystery Still Unsolved, you'll hear about it there first. Our Instagram is fun. I post pictures and videos there if they're available. You can send me suggestions of cases to cover. You can engage with me and other listeners. And lately, for the last few weeks, I've been doing like a little poll slash quiz in the stories just to get a feel of what you guys think about the cases that we've been covering. And they've been a lot of fun, and I've been surprised by a few of the results. So head on over there and take the poll in my stories about today's case and see for yourself. Okay, so like I said earlier, I watched the movie West Side Story when I was in like the 10th grade, maybe 9th. No, I'm pretty sure it was a 10th grade because now that I think about it, and of course, like a stereotypical girl of 14 years of age, I was a hopeless romantic. So West Side Story, West Side Story and Romeo and Juliet were just what my angsty, loveless self needed to get me by around Valentine's Day when I didn't have a boyfriend and the boy that I liked didn't like me because I was awkward looking and brace-faced. Guys, I know that you all see me now and you think, no, it's not true. You're such a babe. But 
you better believe it. The best way to describe me in high school, as a matter of fact, the only way to describe me in high school would be a combination of Ronald McDonald, a fuzzy Q-tip, Pepper Ann, and maybe like a sprinkle of Carrot Top. So needless to say, I didn't have many suitors. So I remember being obsessed with these stories and hoping that one day I might be the leading lady in my very own love story. And I did, guys. After I got my braces removed and learned how to dress and I learned how to straighten my hair and I had enough money to buy my own makeup and not borrow shades that better suited my mom's tan complexion, yeah, I started to become a babe. But I had a very real awkward stage that went from I want to say like seven to hmm, yesterday yeah (laughs) but enough about me that is not what you guys came here for you guys came here because you wanted to know more about the mysterious death of Natalie Wood ask and ye shall receive because here we go On November 29, 1981, shortly after 7.30 a.m., Natalie Wood was found face down in the Pacific Ocean about 200 yards off of the coast of Catalina Island, which, if you didn't know, is a small island off the coast of California. Natalie was found wearing a nightgown, wool socks, and a feathered red coat. Before we return to this unfortunate scene, I wanted to give you a little history of who Natalie Wood was. Natalie Wood was a famous Hollywood actress. She had been acting since childhood. She played the little girl in the Christmas classic Miracle on 34th Street. She played Maria from West Side Story and Judy in Rebel Without a Cause. One thing you must know is a little eerie. Apparently, throughout the course of Natalie's entire life, She had an intense and what appeared to be an irrational fear of water, specifically dark water at first, but as she got older, her fear only intensified to include all types of water. You see, when Natalie was a young girl, no more than seven or eight years old, her mom took her to see a psychic. I can only assume the mother was like getting her reading done and Natalie wanted to try it. At least I hope that was the case, but I honestly don't know. Anyway, apparently during Natalie's reading, the psychic disclosed that Natalie would one day die by drowning. At the age of 10, while filming The Green Promise, a bridge collapsed during a scene. Natalie fell into the water. She thrashed and screamed until she was rescued. Some might say she only suffered a broken wrist, but I think she suffered a lot more than that because this seems to substantially increase her fear of the water. It was said that shortly before her death, Natalie was afraid to even wash her own hair alone. She was having recurring dreams where she had been abandoned at sea during a terrible thunderstorm. She would wake up choking and gasping for air. Have you ever known someone who predicted their own death? My dad had a friend growing up who was convinced that she would die during a car accident. She was so afraid that she hardly ever drove anywhere. If she did have to drive, she would shake uncontrollably the whole way. One day on her way to pick up her children from school, she got into a car accident. She didn't suffer any known injuries at the time, as in like she didn't need to go to the hospital or anything. However, after that accident, something happened. 
something almost unexplainable. During her accident, she had hit her head, not like very hard or anything, but enough that she had a small lump. Years later, she began experiencing brain deterioration. When they went to speak with the neurologist about what they were experiencing, the neurologist explained that often patients are always born with this condition, but something always has to trigger it, something that jolts the brain and then the side effects come, like then it's triggered and it will be released. Her family immediately remembered the car accident that had occurred a few years previously. She has since passed away and her family still wonders if she had been able to predict her own demise. Had the car accident triggered something in her brain, which ultimately led to her death? Had she been right all along? I also had a roommate in college who has been convinced then and even still since she was like my daughter's age that she would die young. This friend is actually still alive. In fact, she's about four years older than me, so she's not a spring chicken, but she certainly would still be considered a young person if she did pass away. Only time will tell, I suppose, but fingers crossed she's wrong. Back to Natalie. On Natalie's 18th birthday, she went on a date with a famous actor, Robert Wagner, who was 26 at the time. She married and shortly subsequently divorced Wagner. Later, Natalie married and divorced another famous actor. But then in 1972, she remarried Robert Wagner. She just couldn't shake him. Would herself believe that she was not capable of making decisions because she had never gotten a chance to get to know who she truly was. She believed that this was caused by always being told what to do, and she felt that she often blindly followed. Okay, so now fast forward to closer to the time of Natalie's death. It was the weekend after Thanksgiving. Wood had been working on the science fiction film titled Brainstorm with another famous actor that I think you might know well, Christopher Walken. Natalie and Walken had struck up a friendship, so she and her husband had subsequently invited him to join them on their yacht called The Splendor that Thanksgiving weekend, which, I don't know. There were rumors that... um. Natalie and Walken were more than just friends, and maybe she did like him, but if you have a second, look up a picture of Natalie Wood in her 20s, and then look up a picture of Christopher Walken in his 20s. Um, kind of a mismatched pair if you ask me. I mean, don't get me wrong, Walken is a terrific actor and he seems really nice, but I don't, I just don't see Hollywood starlet, international star Natalie Wood going gaga over Christopher Walken. But who knows? I mean, Robert Wagner was a pretty good looking guy, um, but it turns out that he's kind of a real douche. So maybe Natalie was not necessarily attracted to Christopher's appearance, but attracted to his warmth and his kindness. And that is inevitably what matters the most. Beauty dies, but your personality, for the most part, stays the same. The yacht left on Friday, November 27th at around noon, about two days before Natalie would be found in the ocean. All four passengers, including their captain, had been drinking heavily much of the weekend. On that Friday night, Wagner and Wood had argued, apparently to the point where Captain Davern was getting concerned and he asked Walken to to please intervene. Walken apparently refused to get involved, saying, Never get involved in an argument between a man and a wife. 
which, okay, Christopher Walken, here I thought you were a gentleman all these years, and normally I might even agree with you. I mean, I think normally when a husband and wife are having a bit of a tiff, it's probably best to mind your own business, but it seems like this was no small qualm from the reports that we're hearing. I mean, the captain and family friend who knew the couple well was concerned. So I'm going to say that if people are arguing that intensely, it might be time to get involved and try to de- at least de-escalate the situation. On November 28th, um, Natalie decides that she is, even though they've had a fight, she's going to stay on the boat because Christopher Walken had apparently desired that she stay and hang out with them. Walken and Wood returned to shore together via a water taxi to drink at a little spot there for happy hour. Um, apparently Wagner and Captain Deverne were fishing at the time. And so they said, like, we're just going to go fishing for a little bit longer. Then we'll wrap things up and we'll join you there. And they did. The waitress who was serving the four people um, recalls that at dinner, the four partook in the drinking of two bottles of wine two bottles of champagne, and one of the men, she couldn't recall which one, pounded like five strawberry daiquiris one right after the other. So my question is, the important question that we're all wondering, who do you think was throwing back those Straub's dacks? Because we know it was a guy. We know it wasn't Natalie. So which guy? I cannot imagine it being Robert. He kind of exudes the sort of toxic masculinity that I think he would be horrified to be seen with like a girly drink, quote unquote. Um, So I'm guessing it had to either be Walken or the captain. And my gut instinct, however, was that it was Walken because I can almost picture him in my mind enjoying them. You know, daiquiri is one of my favorite drinks. It's sweet and satisfying, but uh, it packs a real punch. I just love him. I don't know. He just seems like a daiquiri guy to me. Not an insult, just an observation. Let me know if you agree. The waitress also recalls that Natalie did not eat much of her dinner, and honey, that's because she was an actress. They're literally, like, not allowed to eat. The waitress also recalled that Natalie was not in a good mood, and when she left the restaurant, she was stumbling. In one instance, Wood was seen throwing a glass onto the floor, but later Walken explained that, that it was his fault because he had given a toast apparently, and he had accidentally dropped his glass after the toast had concluded, and he was like super embarrassed, and Natalie could tell, so she threw her glass on the floor to make him feel less awkward about it. Davern reported that Walken and Woods appeared very flirty during the dinner, even though Natalie was sitting directly adjacent to second-time hubby Robert Wagner. They returned to the yacht at about 10 o'clock that night. As they were boarding, a witness from the Harbor Patrol offices claims that he heard Natalie scream about something, and he had assumed that she had only screamed because he could tell she was intoxicated. Witnesses aboard a nearby boat named John Payne and Marilyn Wayne reported hearing shouts at around midnight. However, there was a party nearby, so the two could not decipher which direction and therefore which boat the shouts were exactly coming from. It could have been coming from the party boat, or it could have been coming from the Splendor. They did, however, say that the woman was screaming, Help me, someone please help me. So one could assume, knowing what we know now, that these may have very well been the last pleas of beloved Natalie Wood. 
They claim that they attempted to reach the Coast Guard 10 times after hearing these distress calls, and those calls could not make it through. John Payne, one of the witnesses, also says that he recalls hearing a gruff male voice which sounded drunk say, okay, honey, we'll get you, just kind of like in that tone. Um, And so he said that the tone of the male's voice was almost like mocking or like sarcastic. So that's why he believed that maybe it wasn't actually a true emergency, but just voices coming from the nearby party boat. Reports say that there was a non-violent argument soon before Natalie disappeared. Wagner has stated that he and Walken had had a political debate that began at dinner. They continued this conversation once aboard the yacht. He also claims that, quote, there was no fight, there was no anger, just a lot of words thrown around like you hear in most political discussions. Natalie sat there not saying very much of anything, and she looked super bored. She left us after about a half an hour, and we sat there talking for almost another hour. End quote. Something about this I don't believe, and it doesn't really have to deal with Natalie per se, but maybe. I'm sorry, but we have just had a lot of political debates as of late, and I literally don't think it would be possible for two men who are clearly into the same lady because there was like flirting at dinner, to sit down and have a calm and respectful political debate while the two of them are hammered. I almost don't think it's possible while two individuals are sober and hardly if one of them, still not sure who, has just pounded five daiquiris. I'm just not buying what they're selling. Sorry, not sorry. Wagner continues, Later, I went to kiss her, Natalie, goodnight, and found her missing. So so Wagner claims that he only noticed she was missing when he went to go kiss her goodnight. So now we have a conundrum on our hands. If we believe the witness who claims he heard a woman screaming, help, help, and then a man say, okay, honey, we'll get you out of there, then we cannot believe Robert's story because surely if his wife was not around, and a woman was heard screaming for, like, all the boats around to hear, he would have checked into that. But perhaps the witness is lying? I mean, it's not too far-fetched to believe that someone at the time would want to be associated with this story, which involves three famous Hollywood actors. I'm almost always shocked at the lengths people will go to seek their 15 minutes of fame, even if it could potentially mean botching an entire police investigation. So who do you believe? The witness who claims to have heard a woman screaming for help or Robert? Who to believe? Who to believe? Hmm. At 1.30 a.m. that night, Wagner and Deverne made a distress call saying that Natalie Wood had disappeared from the yacht. But one might assume that at 1.30 a.m., Robert called the Coast Guard. But you would be wrong, because no, no, he did not. Robert called the manager of the restaurant that they had gone to earlier that night. Which, I think you can agree, is odd. The restaurant manager claims that it took a very long time to get the necessary information needed out of any of the men because they were all plastered. About five hours later, a lifeguard 
finally reaches the boat. He does a preliminary search in the water around the boat and underneath, and he doesn't find Natalie. The lifeguard at this point, um, like, radios in to and requests a helicopter to help with the search. It is while the helicopter is flying out to meet them at the boat when the helicopter spots something. Natalie's body floating in the water. At 7.30 a.m., going back to the beginning, about a mile away from the boat, she was found. The dinghy that Natalie um, had apparently been using was found a few miles south and had collided into some rocks. The ignition was off, the gear shift was sent to neutral, and the oars were locked, which implies that she may have never even started the vessel. The medical examiner also noted that Natalie had superficial bruises on her arms and lower legs, as well as a cut on her cheek and a slight bruise on her temple. At the time of the report, it was believed that these wounds were inflicted while she was in the water. Something that kind of rubs me the wrong way, though, and I want to touch on it before I forget. If we believe the witnesses Payne and Wayne, they heard shouts at around midnight. The group on the yacht returned to the boat from dinner at 10 p.m. Walken and Wagner had their little political kumbaya for half hour, if you can believe that. And at 10.30, Natalie left because she was bored. They all claim that they debated for another hour, so that puts the time at midnight. Then Wagner says he goes in to kiss his wife, but alas, she is missing. Why did they wait until 1.30 to call for help? I understand that if you can't find your wife at midnight, you would start to look for a little bit before jumping to conclusions. Like, maybe she's in another room. Maybe she's in the bathroom. But I would hope that you would only search for like 10 to 15 minutes. I mean, I'm sure that this yacht is big, but there's only so many places that she could be. And then you'd call for help. Not 90 minutes. This makes me feel like something much more nefarious was going on. Like something was done to Natalie around midnight when those witnesses heard the screams. And then there were was about 90 minutes of orchestrating some sort of a scene, covering up tracks before calling for help. I don't know. That just seems like a huge chunk of unaccounted time. But what do you guys think? I also want to mention before I forget something huge, when Natalie's body was discovered, police and everyone involved knew that it was Natalie. I mean, she was famous, but they have to get an official confirmation from a family member or a friend. So they told Robert Wagner that they were so sorry about the death of his wife and that they would be happy to um, give him a ride on their helicopter so that he could grieve privately in his own home but that they would need him to come down to the beach and take a look at the body for an official confirmation but robert wagner refused and sent captain davern to do it for him robert refused any and all interviews with police and immediately lawyered up and retreated to his mansion in Beverly Hills. He also took Captain DeVern with him and according to DeVern, he was held hostage in Robert Wagner's home for several days before he eventually escaped. 
After Natalie's funeral, Lana, Natalie's sister, went upstairs to hug Robert, pay her respects, and ask him personally, as she hadn't had a chance to do so yet, what happened that night, Robert? Robert only said, quote, you have to believe me, it was an accident, end quote, before she felt a hand on her shoulder and she was led away by security from Robert. Robert has never attempted to contact anyone on Natalie's side of the family since her death. There are a few theories as to what really happened that night. The first theory is that somehow Natalie found herself in the water and drowned. The conclusion that Chief Medical Examiner Thomas Noguchi came to was that Natalie had been attempting to board the dinghy to go back to shore alone when she fell into the water. Noguchi theorized that the down jacket Natalie had been found wearing would have filled up quickly with water and weighed her down significantly. This, combined with her drunken and disoriented state, caused her death. He also claimed, Thomas Noguchi, the medical examiner, that there were fingernail scratches on the side of the dinghy, indicating that Natalie had attempted to get back on the boat, but eventually she had drowned, either due to hypothermia or exhaustion. However, this theory has been discredited. Somehow, it got out there that there were scratches on the side of this dinghy. But guess what? No scratches. It was an absolute and utter lie. Robert claims that often Natalie would complain about the dinghy not being tied properly to the boat. The dinghy would slam into the boat over and over again and make so much noise that she couldn't sleep. So Robert says that often Natalie would get up, untie the dinghy, and retie it more securely. However, Wood's family members, particularly particularly her sister Lana, are adamant that this could not be true. She says, My sister was not a swimmer, and she did not know how to swim. She was terrified of open water. She would never, ever go near the edge of a boat. I can get where Lana is coming from. I think in normal circumstances, I'd be on that team too. But you can never underestimate what situations a drunk person will get themselves into. You really just don't know. Some people say that even though Natalie was drunk, she was so terrified of water, she would have never attempted this. But we have to remember that alcohol is accurately nicknamed liquid courage. You get drunk and you dance like no one's watching. You get drunk and you talk to that guy you've always had a crush on. (laughs) Could Natalie have gotten so drunk that she decided it was finally time to face her fear of dark water? Captain Deverne also has some qualms with Robert's theory. He says the dinghy was made out of rubber. It was inflatable. There's just no way this rubber dinghy was pounding so hard against the boat that it could cause much audible sound at all. Also, Natalie's bedroom was on the other side of the yacht, so it seems improbable that if it was making noise that she would have even heard it. In a book released in 1986, Robert Wagner says... It was only after I was told that she was dressed in a sleeping gown, heavy socks, and a parka that it dawned on me what had really occurred. 
Natalie obviously had trouble with that dinghy slamming up against the boat. It, it had happened many, many times before, and I had always gone out and pulled the rope tighter to keep the dinghy flush against the yacht. She probably skidded on one of the steps after untying the ropes. The steps are slick as ice because of the algae and seaweed that's always clinging to them. After slipping off of the steps, she must have hit her head. I only hope she was unconscious before she hit the water. Ah, it seems like a good theory at its face. However, I'm always very suspect to someone who provides way too much detail in their theory of what might have happened. Oh, you know what might have happened? These 80 things in perfect absolute succession. Yep, that has to be the way that it went down. There was also a broken bottle of wine in the bar area of the boat. Wagner attempted to attribute this to some intense waves that night. The same waves that must have caused Natalie to slip and fall into the water. But this is where Robert Wagner and Dennis Deverne's stories start to diverge. Deverne says that the bottle was broken when Wagner threw it in a jealous rage over Wood and Watkins' interactions. Deverne claims that Wagner yelled, What are you trying to do? My wife? So now you see where the mystery lies. These stories are absolutely 100% different, and I'm more inclined to believe the captain's account of the events and that it doesn't seem like he really has anything to lose, save maybe his job. Robert, on the other hand, has more reason to lie and twist the story so that he stays in a positive light. But you could also spin this on its head and say that maybe Deverne is lying because maybe he killed Natalie. Was he secretly in love with her? See? See? It could be so many things. Strangely, despite initially blaming the broken bottle on rough seas, Wagner later admitted to breaking the, bo- the wine bottle in his autobiography released in 2009. Isn't it interesting that Robert's mind seems to only get clearer and more accurate with old age and the passing of time? Yeah, no, that's not really how it works. Let's get into theory two, which we've kind of already touched on. The theory that there was foul play involving Robert Wagner. At the time of Natalie's death, she was in the middle of a comeback. After paying off Robert's debt and remarrying him for the second time, they had two daughters together. She had taken some time off from her impeccable career to care for them, uh, which left Robert to be the primary provider. But the girls were getting older and Natalie loved her work, so she procured a role alongside Christopher Walken. Many people believe that Robert was not too pleased about this decision. It would mean that he would once again be cast in the shadows of Natalie Wood's fame and success. Sure, Robert was an actor, but as we know, there is a hierarchy in Hollywood, not only in status, but in compensation. TV stars make less than film stars, and low-budget actors make significantly less than, say, an international movie starlet. We already know that Robert Wagner was the jealous type, and we're not just making assumptions here. He is a self-proclaimed jealous person. I learned through this incredibly in-depth podcast, it's titled Fatal Voyage, The Mysterious Death of Natalie Wood, which I 
will continue to heavily reference throughout the remainder of this episode because it's just that good, that Robert Wagner became so convinced that Natalie was cheating on him with a co-star, Warren Beatty, that Robert traveled to North Carolina where they were filming a movie and that he actually followed Warren Beatty back to his home from the set with a loaded pistol in his coat pocket. Oh, um... And I also need to mention that that podcast that I was talking to you about, Fatal Voyage, it has 12 episodes or chapters. So it really does get into the backstory and the nitty gritty details, um, whereas I'm only briefly touching on them. So if you're really interested in this case and you want to like listen to 12 episodes of it, you should totally go there because it is so well written, so thoroughly researched. So if you're really interested in this, go over there, listen to them. Before we move forward, a lot of information regarding this uh, theory is based on the witness testimony of Captain DeVern. So it's worth noting that Captain DeVern is sort of an unreliable witness for a whole host of reasons, including that it took him years to come forward with what he is now saying is the truth. Also, he seemed to release bits and pieces of information to the tabloids in an unsavory way, typically when he was strapped for cash, let's say. That being said, though, Captain DeVern's claims have always matched up with the experiences of the other witnesses involved. So I think his claims hold more weight than, say, uh, I don't know, Robert Wagner, for example. Walken's description of the events that happened once returning to the yacht are closer to Davern's account rather than Wagner's. Walken claims that Woods and Wagner did get into an argument based on Woods' apparent absence from their family, to which Walken attempted to defend Wood at first, but then he learned that his very presence seemed to be only making Wagner angrier and in an attempt to just de-escalate things he took a step outside to give Natalie and Robert a chance to talk alone. When he returned he claims that the two had made amends. Deverne agrees with Walken about the argument but claims amends were never made because he continued to hear the two argue for longer than Walken is claiming. Deverne claims that he even heard the dinghy being untied and then all he heard was silence until Wagner returned at 11.30 p.m. looking tousled and sweating profusely. Deverne also claims that Wagner discouraged him from turning on the floodlights or starting up the engine in an attempt to search for Natalie once she was discovered missing, and Wagner said that he didn't want to alert anybody nearby. Yikes, this is not a good look for Robert Wagner. Deverne has always believed that something malicious happened to him his good friend Natalie would. He believes that she would have never wanted to return to the shore alone and that if she had wanted to return to shore for whatever reason, she would have known that she could have come to him and he would have gladly taken her as he had the night before. Yes. This case was reopened in 2011 because Captain DeVern released a book with a famous journalist, and the details about the night in question were significantly different from the interviews that he had participated in with the police in the past. As we know, at first, he claims that the four stayed on the boat the entire time, besides like going to dinner, but they, he always claims that they all slept in the boat every night. Now, he was claiming that on the first night of the trip, 
Tensions were running high from the very beginning. It appeared that Robert Wagner was desperately seeking Christopher Walken's approval by showing him all the gadgets and doodahs on the boat, a competition of my PP is bigger than your PP. Captain DeVern says it was very obvious that Wagner was trying to establish dominance and proclaim that he, Robert Wagner, was the man on the boat. It appears Christopher Walken either didn't care or wasn't really picking up on Robert's cues, which only seemed to infuriate Robert more. This continued for hours, and Captain Vern said that the environment got so toxic and so suffocating that eventually Natalie pulled him to the side and told him that she had to get off the boat this very minute. It is unknown why Christopher Walken did not also join them that first night, but nonetheless, Captain Natalie took the dinghy and stayed at a motel. When they got to the motel, Natalie paid for two separate rooms, but after assisting Natalie to her room with her bags, she asked um, Deverne to stay a little bit longer. She was apparently extremely worried that sometime during the night, Robert was going to find her and that she asked if Deverne would stay um, in her room as a type of bodyguard. Over the course of Captain Deverne's job with the Wagner Woods, he had gotten extremely close to Natalie. Natalie was, as we know, terrified of open water, and because of that, when they went on the boat, she tried to be in a place that was as far away from it as possible. Robert always had their girls swimming, and so he was monitoring them, and um, Natalie would go up to what happened to be this really small deck that was near where the captain worked. So she would needlepoint, she would, um, crochet, and she would practice her lines in the sun. Uh, Deverne claims that the two of them became each other's unofficial therapist. Davern said that he was in a serious relationship at the time, and he would often ask Natalie for her advice. Captain Deverne says that it was during that night that he was keeping watch for Robert, that Natalie disclosed to him that she was planning on leaving Wagner. She had recently invested in a production company right before they released the movie Charlie's Angel, which, as we know, made a ton of money. So in turn, through that investment, she had made millions of dollars. This was all she needed to get away from Robert and do well on her own with the girls. He said that Natalie then fell asleep and Deverne was left to ponder just how serious these arguments were getting between this infamously famous couple. When they woke up the next morning, Deverne suggested that they go back to the boat and try to make amends and attempt to have a good rest of the weekend. Natalie agreed. Together, they went to the supermarket to purchase items to make huevos rancheros, and they both made breakfast together on the boat until Walken and Wagner woke up and came up to eat it. No one seemed to mention anything about the previous night. Um, they were drunk, so maybe they didn't even remember, but tensions had certainly lowered a little bit. There was still a little bit of tension, but it lowered. In 2012, the coroner's office changed the cause of death from accidental to drowning and other undetermined answers. The new report gives more focus to the bruises that were found on Natalie's body. They found that the bruising occurred anti-mortem in that they happened before she got into the water. The new chief medical examiner says that the location of the bruising and the multiplicity of the bruises paired with the lack of head trauma or facial bruising support bruising had to have occurred prior to entry in the water. 
Nancy Grace um, was able to review the medical examiner's original report, and she has some qualms about it. And I'm going to list just a few that I also find very suspicious. Okay, so one is that the original medical examiner, Noguchi, did not attempt to retrieve DNA from underneath Natalie's fingernails. And this is common procedure and such an elementary error that it almost begs the question, was it purposeful to not look underneath and gather DNA from Natalie's fingernails? This goes hand in hand with the discovery that none of the men on board at the time of her disappearance were checked for scratches or bruises or scrapes, which is just another thing considered standard procedure that was just blatantly ignored and not done in this investigation. There's also another thing that is bothering me. When Natalie's body was discovered, her bladder contained 300 cc's of urine. Okay, you might be thinking, gross, why are we talking about pee, Rochelle? But it's actually a very important key piece of evidence. When a person drowns, they always void. They always go to the bathroom. This is a scientific fact and has been proven time and time again. The only way that Natalie's bladder would be full is if she was rendered unconscious before her body hit the water. Since there are unanswered questions and limited additional evidence available for evaluation, it is opined that the manner of death should be left as undetermined, and it has been so to this day. But this new piece of evidence, the bladder being completely full, takes us back to those witnesses who swear they heard a woman screaming for help. Well, with Natalie's bladder being full, then this simply could not have happened. Are these witnesses blatantly lying? Or did they actually hear something and they really believe 100% that it was a woman crying for help, but in actuality it was just the neighboring party or maybe some music? I don't know. The witnesses claim that they tried to contact the Coast Guard 10 times that night, but that they couldn't get through. They also say that they called the police seven times and the police never returned their calls. They also claim that shortly after their story came out, they received a very ominous letter at their home telling them that if they wanted to stay in good health, they'd better keep their mouths shut. As of 2013, the LAPD has stated that the case of Natalie Wood is open and ongoing, and Robert Wagner, while initially LAPD cleared him of any wrongdoing, has officially been made a significant person of interest in this case. In 2003, Lana Wood, um, Natalie's sister, said that she cannot imagine that Wagner would have purposefully done anything to hurt Natalie, but she says she knows that lots of crazy things happen when people have been drinking, but this seems to have changed because in an interview conducted in 2018 when Fatal Voyage um, conducted their podcast and their research, she seems to have changed her mind completely, and now she very much believes Robert is 100% responsible. Um, She told a couple of stories. I'm going off script right now, so I'm going to like probably fumble this up a little bit, but she told two stories that I found very, very interesting. So we already know that Robert Wagner um, was just very, very jealous guy. And he would make these flippant comments that were just like 
not abusive, but they certainly weren't like warm and friendly. Um, apparently when she, uh, Natalie would come home from work and like Lana was around, she would hear Robert say, when the sound, when the, when the sound people mic'd you up, did they look under your skirt? Like just really weird things. And then one time, um, the three of them were going to go out to dinner, Lana, Natalie, and Robert. And Lana, Lana and Natalie have been trying to figure out where they're going to eat. And she turned over her shoulder and asked Robert, Robert, where do you think we should eat? Because Lana and I just can't come to a conclusion. And he said, you're the star you should choose. So, you know, a lot of content, a lot of contentment going on in this relationship. Um, she, as in Lana, believes wholeheartedly that Robert was there when Natalie entered the water. She believes that he either struck her, which led to her being unconscious, and then he scooted her into the water, or that he came upon Natalie already unconscious, perhaps because of her drunken state, and he pushed her into the water because he happened upon the opportunity to do so, and he had already been like planning on getting rid of her. And then this opportunity presented itself. Whether or not he was responsible, Wagner has said that he feels responsible for not noticing that she had gone missing sooner. Christopher Walken has said, and I have been very interested in what he would have to say, he said that the people who are convinced that there was something more to it than what came out of the investigation will never be satisfied with the truth. Because the truth is, there is nothing more to it. It was an accident. I, I feel like my Christopher Walken accent was way better last night when I was practicing than it is right now. I'm very disappointed. Uh, Dwayne Razor, the former lead investigator, says he still does not know how Natalie entered the water. This case is shrouded in eerie mystery, and unfortunately, time seems to be running out. Robert Wagner is 88, Walken is 76, and Vern is in his late 70s. In my personal opinion, I feel that this is a case of a jealous and enraged husband who had a mission and he carried it all the way through. It didn't matter how many people were on the boat or who was on the boat. He wanted Natalie gone, either because he felt emasculated by her very presence, um, because he thought that she was cheating on him with other men, or simply he just wanted her money. I believe that the only way this case is getting solved is either if an unknown witness comes forward who saw the incident happen with their own eyes or if someone confesses. And while I'm hopeful against all odds, I do fear that Natalie and Robert are the only ones who know the truth of what happened that night in question. And unfortunately, this case may only add to the ginormous vault of the ocean's many well-kept secrets. And that's the case of the controversial death of Natalie Wood. What do you guys make of this case? Please let me know your thoughts, theories, and opinions on our Instagram at Mystery Still Unsolved. Do you agree with my conclusions or do you respectfully disagree? I very much want to know if you see an angle here that I have not yet discovered. Don't forget to take our quiz slash poll on stories. I love seeing the results. Also, don't forget to message me if you have a case that you want me to cover on the podcast. I am always looking for more cases. 
Um, As always, thank you for joining me and don't forget to stop by next week when together we'll discover, did anyone ever place a useful tip? Has justice prevailed or is the mystery still unsolved?